Hello, everyone, and welcome to the All In Football podcast with me, your host, Cully Matharu. With me today, we have, as always, the terrific trio of EFL experts, Scott Williams, European football connoisseur, Tom Hughes, and fantasy football guru, Alex Rex. Coming up on the show today, we're going to talk all things Sheffield United after the dramatic sacking of Chris Wilder. We'll be discussing the fallout of the North London derby, as well as our weekly EFL, European and fantasy football segments. We'll be discussing the best derby goals in Premier League history and the greatest sides never to win the Champions League. As always, if you want to follow us on social media, you have plenty of content to help your fantasy football teams as well as your weekend hacker tips. Along with much, much more, just of course, remember to bet safely, gamble responsibly. So if you want to do so, please follow us on All In Football P on Twitter and All In Football Pod on Instagram. Right, boys, let's get right into the thick of it and talk Chris Wilder and Sheffield United. I think it came as uh, quite a shock to everyone, even uh, despite the the position of Sheffield United in the Premier League. Um, Scott, just how did this come about, given Wilder's stature within the club and the fans? Yeah, like you said, it's, it was a bit of a shock. It came out of the blue. Um, you thought if it was going to happen, it would have happened a lot earlier in the season. Um it's 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 quite a sad story because um, like I said, he's, he's took them from League One to the Premier League in three seasons. He's played he's gone playing very good football up there last season. He's a Sheffield United man through and through. He gets the bus everywhere. He drinks with the fans in the pub. It is quite it's quite upsetting, especially from an out, outsider looking in. I guess the main thing is obviously there's been a falling out with the owners, especially around the um, director of football that they want to implement in the club. It's pretty old school, Chris Wilder. He wants to control everything in the club, and that involves bringing the players in as well. And it's obviously just come to a head. Doing a bit of research, it was quite interesting that um, when he came into the club, there was actually a shared ownership, and it was actually the other owner that actually wanted Chris Wilder in. So um, when the current owner took full control, he did obviously give his verbal backing, but did he was he actually the man that he wanted in from the first place? Then Chris Wilder does what he does over the next three seasons. He can never be sacked. Um, and then I guess it's just they've just come to a head a little bit. Um, it's you, you would think he was the right man to bring him back up, but again, looking into it, do you want Chris Wilder charge of football when you actually look at some of the signings? Um, you've got Ollie McBurney at twenty million. Definitely not Premier League standard for me. Ryan Brewster, a lot of potential, but I think you as a Liverpool fan, Cully, uh, chuckling all the way to the bank now, 22 million for him. So I think a lot of that has come down to, actually, do they want to go in a different direction? So sad, but not surprised at the same time. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, Tom, Sheffield United finished ninth last year. Quite a breath of fresh air in the Premier League, actually, with the style of football. Why do you think there was such a drastic turnaround from last season's form? Um, one clear reason for me that uh, suggests why the turnaround in form, small margins. Sheffield's whole model was built on fine margins in the Premier League. They finished, you know, in the in the top 10 comfortably, but nine of those victories were by one-goal margins. Um, if you're winning games by such small margins and those margins turn against you, that's clearly going to lead to a bad run of form. Um, and unfortunately, the reasons that, for the reasons that Scott's just mentioned with the, the drama that was going on behind the scenes, 
I think that that's probably impacted Chris Wilder's ability to turn that bad form around. Um, so ultimately, it's just their style of football played into very fine victories, fine margin victories. And because they've not been able to sustain that, they've not been able to get those little one-goal victories. It's ultimately led to 1-0 losses. Uh, it's led to draws, which turn to losses. So, yeah, it's just a case of fine margins turning against them for me. Yeah, uh, I tend to agree with that one. Um, Alex, we've seen so many sides, big sides. I mean, Bradford, Sunderland, Preston, Leeds, dare I say it, to name a few, slip down the divisions all the way to League mm -hmm. One. Uh, does this news regarding Chris Wilder put them in real danger of going down and down the divisions hard? He's he taught them a style of play that's really unique and he's got basically a League One stroke championship team performing at a level which are, were, were a ninth place in the Premier League last year. So he's gonna, whoever comes in is going to have to win over the dressing room fast and get them working really, really quickly because otherwise they could easily go for back-to-back -back relegations. And talking about fine margins, they've... So they scored 39 goals last year, but they only scored 16 this year. And all of the goals that they had coming from midfield, which was what, 12 goals, they've had like, well, they've had none of those. Fleck, Lundstrom, Sanderberg and Norwood, like, they're just not contributed like they did last season. Um, the only person who scored more goals this year than they did last year is McGoldrick, and that's not hard because he scored two in just one game and that was it. So they've got a lot of players, they've had a lot of injuries, but... Yeah, I, I think if the new manager doesn't come in, get them really, really tight-knit group back together and get them te teach them a really good style of football and get them... Because they're teaching them a new style of football. It's going to be in the championships, one of the toughest leagues out there. You can't try to pick up a new style of football with a bunch of League One players in the championship. It's going to be really, really difficult. So, yeah, I do fear for them. I think they're going to really struggle at the beginning of next season and it's how they pick up from the middle of that season. I think you make a really good point on the injuries, if I'm honest. With such a, a small squad, to have the likes of John Fleck, Egan, O'Connell out for most of the season, they were really big flag bearers for them last season to, to make them finish ninth. So I think they've really struggled with that. Um, yeah, I can I can see them going down the, the route of, of Leeds. Uh, actually, a question for, for Tom off the back of that. What do you think the mistakes Leeds made in terms of going down a couple of divisions? Uh, and do you think Sheffield United are going to repeat those? We've only got an hour, haven't we, Gully? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was going to say, um, trying to draw parallels between Leeds and Sheffield is going to be difficult because Leeds' problems were caused by financial malpractice more than anything else. Um, we had to tear up our entire playbook over the course of a couple of years. We pretty much shipped out every single decent player. Uh, Sheffield United are not going to have to do that. I don't think there's going to be significant demand for Sheffield United players from Premier League teams. Um, I can't see them losing a lot of those players, so that will help them. Um, I think probably what Alex said is probably the most important thing, is if they're trying to change their style in the Championship, that's extremely difficult to achieve. Paul Heckingbottom, not going to help that situation because they're not going to get any proper coaching for the rest of the year, and then they're going to get in the Championship. A new manager might come in in summer and try and put their style in, not going to have time to do it. I cannot see them bouncing back anytime soon. I don't think they'll tumble, though, uh, because they're not going to lose players. Our problem was, or the, the re thing that causes teams to really tumble down the leagues is losing players and having a big overhaul of players and overhaul of style at the same time. I don't think Sheffield United will have both of those. 
they had 12 players last season feature in over 20 games. Like they had that back five, they had that midfield three, and they had that front, and obviously Henderson. The only player to have played that level and amount of games this season for Sheffield United is the goalkeeper who wasn't there last year, and that's Ramsdale, and that's it. So like that whole that whole back line, just yeah, it, it, it's not been anywhere near as solid this year, and it's been blown apart by injuries and everything else. Well, you, yeah. look at, you look at sorry, you look at Dean Henderson. I think that's something we need to um, need to answer. Ramsdale's looked very shaky. Where last season, Dean Henderson looked very good. Like I say, it's having that confidence in the back four, isn't it? Having that confidence in your keeper. They've just not had that this year. Yeah, Tom, you mentioned Heckingbottom. Um, obviously, you've had your dealings with him in the past. Uh, let's assume that he doesn't get the job in the summer. Scott, being a bit of an AFL connoisseur, which manager, managers should they be looking at to get them an immediate return to the Premier League, do you reckon? Yeah, so for me, there's, there's one standout candidate for me, and it's the guy who's been out of work for a long time now, Eddie Howe. Like, I think the job he did at Bournemouth was incredible. He got them playing a great brand of football on a shoestring budget at the end of the day. They're a small club and he got them to the Prem. He knows what to do at that level. He knows how to get teams up. Um, so I think I think it would be smart to get him in. A couple of, couple of people I've looked at who also know how to get promoted from that league. Um, Rafa Benitez, bit of an outside shout. And Steve Bruce, when he gets sat by Newcastle at the end of the season, because that'll probably happen. Um, he again knows how to get teams up. So any of anyone to bring in now needs to be able to work with a director of football, which is obviously extremely important. I mean, if Rafa Benitez ends up at Sheffield United, that's some kind of small miracle. But uh, all I'll say just to finish that off is uh, anything's better than that Muppet Chris Wilder. Uh, we still owe him for that one. So. <laughs> What has Chris Wilder said against Leeds now, honestly? He, he, called, he called Patrick Bamford and uh, us a bunch of Muppets, so I just had to slip that one in, mate. He's, you've got your dossier, haven't you? People who said something against Leeds. Anybody in the world? <laughs> it's a database. A database. There's, there's, yeah. one, there's one thing that we have to look at, though, that, that's got Sheffield United to the Premier League, and that's passion, desire and drive about a club that you love. That's what it is. like, And that's what's got that team and that squad to where they are. And that's why I fear for them, because if they're not led by that sort of passion, drive, desire, look at how heartbroken they all are that he's gone. So, yeah, straight away, I think it's a bigger, I think it's a bigger job than a lot of people think. Yeah, this is what I was saying. I reckon they, they could fall further down than just the championship. I think it's going to take a, a bit of a coming back from, from this. Um, anyway, right, let's uh, let's change the pace uh, and drop into the, the, the EFL. And there's only one man for it. Uh, Scott, what's been going on in the world of the Football League this week? Cheers, Cully. Uh, yeah, busy one for a change. Um, obviously, with a cramming a lot of games in, we again have a full weekend uh, set of fixtures and a full midweek set of fixtures to go through. So we will lightly touch on them and all the main po- uh, talking points because there is a few. So starting with the championship, as we always do, um, on Saturday there was drama galore at the top of the championship. Norwich continue their march back to the Premier League with a 2-1 win over struggling Sheffield Wednesday. A last-minute Watford goal gave them all three points against playoff chasing Cardiff, while wins for Swansea and Brentford kept them both in the hunt for automatic promotion. Barnsley edged Bournemouth in a five-goal thriller to cement their playoff place. Birmingham lost 3-0 to keep them hovering dangerously above the relegation zone, 
and too close for the Birmingham board, who took the decision to sack Aitor Kranka, with Lee Bowyer taking the reins at the club. Another full fixture list in midweek. Norwich now 10 points clear and looks certainties for return to the top tier of English football after they won again against Nottingham Forest. Watford look favourites to join them as they picked up three points, while Brentford could only manage a draw and Swansea got hammered by Bournemouth. No wins for the bottom three means it's still Wickham, Chef Wednesday and Rotherham looking favourites for the drop. Looking ahead to the weekend, game of the weekend for me, it's got to be the Welsh derby between Swansea and Cardiff. Swansea will be desperate to bounce back after their 3-0 hammering against Bournemouth and close the gap in the top two, while Cardiff will want to get back to winning ways and push towards the playoffs. And finally, one for the Acker. Coventry versus Wickham, under 2.5. Six out of Coventry's last seven have all been under 2.5, while seven out of Wickham's last eight have all been under 2.5. And I'm determined this week to get us a winner. We're two out of three last couple of weeks. We will get that winner this week. Um, before we dive into League One, I just want to mention the two Football League trophy finals that occurred this weekend. In the first game on Saturday, Salford hit new heights and claimed another trophy for the Class of 92 boys after beating Pompey on penalties. A well-deserved win for Salford, who dominated from start to finish. We mentioned on the podcast last week about how much pressure Kenny Jacket was under at Portsmouth. And this final loss was the final straw as he was shown the door just hours after the final whistle. Ex-Lincoln and Huddersfield manager Danny Cowley is the current favourite to replace Jacket. Um, on Sunday, there was finally, finally, finally something for Sunderland fans to celebrate as they beat Tramia to become 2021 champions. I'm sure they'll be hoping the Netflix cameras caught some of that victory. On Sunday, um, returning, sorry, returning to the league and no games this weekend for Peterborough meant a whole win extended their lead at the top. Third place Lincoln lost in the surprise result the weekend to relegation threatening Rochdale. AFC Wimbledon, Swindon and Wigan join Rochdale in the bottom four. However, finally some good news this week for Wigan fans as Phoenix 2021 Limited, led by, hopefully I'll say this correctly, Abdul Haraman Al-Jazmi, have agreed a takeover of the Latics who have been in, in administration since July 2020. They'll be certainly hoping it's a Phoenix rising from the flames. And moving into the midweek games and wins for Peterborough and Sunderland kept the pressure on Hull at the top. While it's now four losses in their last six games for Lincoln, who have hit a worrying patch of form at the wrong time. And some big news coming fresh out today is uh, Nigel Atkins is taking a vacant role at Charlton. Been a big Scum for United fan myself. Um, he was a great manager for us. Um, he, and he also took Southampton from League One to the Premier League. I really do wish him all the best there. I think he'll do a great job. The only thing that put down on his career so far was that he did decide to be Hull manager. But we all do make mistakes. We will let you off. Looking ahead to the weekend, game of the weekend, there's loads of standout games, actually. Whether I've gone for Sunderland versus Lincoln. Inform Sunderland will be wanting another three points to close in the top two. While a struggling Lincoln will be desperate to pick up form again and maintain their playoff position. And one for the Acker in League One. Gilligan versus Doncaster over 2.5. Six out of Gillingham's last seven home games are all, were all over 2.5. Four out of Donny's last five away games all over 2.5. And top of League Two. The top four of Cheltenham, Cambridge, Forest Green Rovers and Newport all won at the weekend. Another win for Bolton takes it to eight wins in a draw in the last nine games. 
in form at the perfect time. Only five points separated the top six teams in the league with three automatic places, uh, promotion places up for grabs. A shock result in midweek as leaders Cheltenham lost the relegation threat in Barrow. It's now two losses in three games to Cheltenham. With it being Cheltenham Festival this week, the question does really uh, oppose, are they struggling to get over that final hurdle? That win for Barrow means there is now a five-point gap between them and the bottom two. It's really worrying times for Southend and Grimsby. Game of the weekend, not no further than Cambridge versus Forest Green Rovers. Second place third in a massive top-of-the-table clash. One for the Acker, Bolton Twin versus Warsaw. Best-informed team plays the worst-informed team. Surely, this has got Banker written all over it. And finally, one of the big talking points to come out of the weekend was Kevin Ellison's celebration after scoring for Newport against Morecambe. For those of you that have not seen or heard about the incident, Ellison scored against his former club and ran over to his former manager, Derek Adams, and screamed and celebrated in his face. This has come after being frozen out by Adams in his final six months of playing for Morecambe. So this week, boys, my question for you all. What controversial celebration sticks out in your mind and why? And I'm going to start with you, Tom. Well, I think uh, there's one clear winner in this category and it's uh, Mr. Adebayor um, celebrating like probably any of us would uh, should your your team score a goal. But to do it against uh, your old team, just got that little bit of, it's almost not playful banter, but it is playful banter. yeah, it's got to be added by all just just for just for the sheer audacity and ego to go down the pitch and do that. I mean, it's just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. That's a great shout, mate. It's a really good one, that uh, Alex. Over to you. Uh, one of my personal favourites is Carlos Tevez. So he uh, he transferred to uh, to West Ham illegally, didn't he, in two thousand and six. And then uh, went to came to Manchester United. He won a, a Premier League, two Premier Leagues, and a Champions League with us. Fell out with Sir Alex Ferguson. Went to Man City. Did all of the all of the welcome to Manchester signs. All of the PR for Manchester City. And then refused to come on in a Champions League game against Bayern Munich. And Mancini said he will never play for us ever again. Lo and behold, he had about six months off. Played a load of golf came back, scored a hat-trick against Norwich and celebrated in front of the corner flag by doing a perfect golf swing. What an absolute, you know what. (laughs) Amazing celebration. It's just one of those characters that was never going to change, was he? And you know what? I don't think he wanted him to. Took took away from him a little bit, didn't it? He didn't Uh, care at all. Didn't give a shit, did he? Um, Over to you, Cully, finally. Who's your uh, celebration? Who's your man? There's so many to choose from, if I'm honest. Uh, I'm trying not to choose it to choose a Liverpool one, but uh, I'm going to go for one against Liverpool. And that was Gary Neville. And I'm sure you all remember it, and particularly you, Alex. Uh, 2006 at uh, Old Trafford, the last-minute winner by Rio Ferdinand. Gary Neville decides to go up the other end where the Liverpool fans are and kiss his badge and, and hold his shirt to the crowd, which he got fined for, I believe, about £10,000, which is pocket change to him, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, it's weird going from absolutely despising the guy to, to quite liking the guy now. Yeah, very good shouts, boys. Very good shouts. And as always, we want to know what you guys think listening today. 
Um, so yeah, we're all over social media. So follow us all in football pod on Instagram, all in football P on Twitter. Let us know who you think are the craziest, most out there celebration. Back to you, Gully. Brilliant, Scotty. Cheers for that, mate. Right, let's talk about the drama that unfolded in the North London derby at the weekend. Quality-wise, it's probably probably my favourite uh, of the derbies in the Premier League to watch as both sides normally come out and play football. Alex, that certainly wasn't the case on uh, on Sunday. Um, it was a pretty tepid defensive performance from Spurs. What do you make of their pretty abject performance that, that day? Flat, lack of desire... I, it's just a classic Jose Mourinho team that almost look like they've they've lost the faith in Jose Mourinho. Spurs have now got an official one-game season and they've got to win the League Cup final against Man City or their season, no matter what happens. They don't make the Champions League. They've they've been knocked out tonight of the Europa League 3-0, which is just an just absolutely... It, that could not happen. That is disaster for Spurs. That game has completely, by one game, ruined their season. It's um, it's the it's just the little the little things in a game. It, it's just it's crazy that there's the lack of movement, the lack of desire, the lack of work rate, and yeah, it must be really really infuriating for for Tottenham fans to watch it now. Um, just gonna throw it out on, on just on the flip side. Um, Jose currently is starting Lucas Moura, Gareth Bale, Hyungman Son and Harry Kane and occasionally Ndombele all in the same team and he's still being accused of being a defensive manager but somehow they are still playing flat and defensive with all of those attacking players on the team. Don't really know how. And they're still six points off the top four with the game in hand. So, weirdly, they could somehow still end the season okay. But yeah, it's a one-game season for me. League Cup final, that's it. What What a flat team. You mentioned the 3-0 defeat tonight against Dynamo Zagreb. I mean, what does that mean for Jose, do you think, Al? I, I think, he, he, like I say, he's got to win a trophy. He's been brought there to win a trophy. That's what I say about a one-game season. Like, it, he has to win that game against Manchester City. Or I bet he just, I bet he leaves. He won't, he won't stick around. He's um, He even looks flatter than he has done for a while now. So, yeah, one-game season. I can you tell think... you right now, they're not going to beat City if they play like they did tonight because they were absolutely appalling tonight. It's the worst I've seen them in a while. Do you think he goes, Tom, at the end of the season if he doesn't win that game and he doesn't make the top four then? I don't think Mourinho is going to walk away. Uh, I certainly think Spurs might part ways. I think Mourinho will feel like he can probably get more out of this squad. Um, I, I, I can see Spurs parting ways, though. I don't think Mourinho has ever walked away when he's not been winning. I feel like he usually just walks away when he's at the top. Um, like famously at Chelsea, has been booted out a couple of times. So I, I agree. I don't think he'll walk away, and um, I don't. I think he'll want to win a trophy because he's done that in every club I believe he's ever been at. So yeah, I can't see it either. In terms of the actual game, then Tom, uh, the big talking points were the penalty and the red card against Lamella. What did you make of both decisions? Are they correct? For me, yeah. For me, both correct. Uh, both the bookings. I mean. It could have been Lamella could have been sent off for the for the arm. I think that that for me is violent. It was petulant. He didn't need to do it after scoring a brilliant goal like that. Why do you then go? What goes through your head to go and do something like that? It's totally unnecessary. It's obvious you've got VAR in the game, just not needed. Um, so Lamella, a hundred percent, yes, uh, correct decision. The penalty. I can see where people maybe think it isn't a penalty, but I guess the point there is. 
if you lunge in in the penalty box in this Premier League era under current circumstances, do you really expect to not give away a penalty when you go through a player like that? Whether Lacazette has missed a shot or not, it's irrelevant. It's still a foul whether he's got the ball, whether he's had a shot, whether he's off the ball. He's not get anywhere near the ball. It's it's stupid. It's rash, and it was unnecessary. So yeah, it's a penalty. I I know that. I think that goes against our poll results that we did on social media this week. But for me, a blatant penalty in this day and age. Yeah, it's hard to argue against that. If I'm honest, um, Lacazette is very lucky, I think, because obviously the air shot makes it a penalty completely. Uh, oh, in terms of. Lacazette's got away with one massively. Like, let's not joke. It was, it was, it was terrible from Lacazette. He's totally spooned it, and he's been saved by a stupid tackle. It was just a stupid, stupid tackle. I think that game sums up Lamella as well with the red card. He does something of total sheer brilliance in the first half. One of the best goals I've ever seen in the, in the Premier League, uh, and then he gets a, a red card. Um, I'm going to come on to that later, though. Scott, I want to touch on the disciplining of Aubameyang from Arteta and leaving him on the bench for being late, it was reported. Is that good, in your opinion, in terms of a, being a strong manager, or can and will it unsettle the squad? I think it's fantastic from Arteta. I think he's learnt from the best in Pep, and you see it in everything he does. How many men and how many managers and how many clubs have they gone? Oh no, Aubameyang's uh, got a little knock. You know, he's not one hundred percent fit, and just really just like lied and brushed under the carpet. Arteta's come out and said, actually, he's gone against the club rules. He's our club captain. He should be setting an example. If he's not setting an example, and Arteta lets him get away with it, what does that show all these young up and coming boys at Arsenal? I love it. And do you know what? It's, it's a play taken right out of Fergie book as well. Alex Ferguson would always say, there is no one player bigger than this club. And he's bloody true. And you saw that with selling Ronaldo, getting rid of Keane, doing it with a lot of players. And that from our uh, sorry, from Arteta is saying, I'm the man in charge. You play by my rules. I'll get rid of you because I've got confidence in my own ability and these young boys coming through. Fair play, refreshing, loved it. Yeah, um, Alex, they did lose tonight, but they are through in the, the Europa League. They lost 1-0 to Olympiacos, but 3-2 winners on aggregate. Before tonight, it was four wins in five in all competitions for Arsenal. Are we finally starting to see the Arteta project, in inverted commas, starting to come good? What is this project that we talk about? I, it's, I just find it... I find it. it, it what, you sound very enthused by it. <laughs> I, I, honestly, when we first thought about this, what we were going to talk about on the podcast, like what, what they're tenth in the league. They finished eighth last year. They they won a they won the the FA Cup last year because Aubameyang carried them through a game against a half decent City team that this year would just tear them apart. Arteta showed his class tonight, bringing Aubameyang back into the team and you know brushing that under the table. I think it depends what we're talking about here. So if we're talking about is Arteta bringing a nicer, better style of football to the to the team? Yeah, they are playing nicer football, but Arsenal always play nice football, don't they? Which is why they're everyone's second team because they're soft and they all play nice tippy tappy football. Um, they are bringing through some some good youngsters. That's great. Is that what we're talking about with the project? I don't know, because all I can see right now is a team in 10th in the league that's Arsenal, that's nowhere near good enough, that, yeah, OK, they're through in the Europa League, but, yeah, don't see it for me, Cully. I, I, I don't not like Arteta, but, no, I don't think we're seeing it yet. I don't. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I haven't seen it yet. 
You see, they can win the Europa League though. They've got they've got surely a half decent chance. And if he does that, Champions League next season, really good season for them. I suppose so. But then we have to look at players like Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, who is was their talisman, who got a brand new contract. He won the Golden Boot the season before last. He scored twenty two goals in the last two seasons. He got a handful of assists in in both. Uh, and this year he's got nine goals and one assist. And look where they are in the league. So are they relying too much on one player? Potentially so. If he steps up, can they win the Europa League? Maybe. Again, not seeing it yet. Let's be honest. I think both North London clubs are just a bit bit rubbish at the moment, to be honest. Spurs have got better players than where they should be. Um, you know, their performances in terms of, you know, Alex talked about the attacking players that Spurs had on the pitch and they still look defensive. Arteta is supposed to be playing this lovely football and he's supposed to be this great manager. How long has he been there now? It's, it's, it's not, you know, a short period of time. He is kind of shackled by the players he's got, but both of them are a bit up in the... They're just a bit uninspiring at the moment. I don't, I don't look forward to watching either of them, really. On their day, Arsenal can be quite exciting, but most of the time, you don't know what you're going to get from them. And I think that's both their problems. They're just inconsistent and a bit, just a bit rubbish at the moment, to be honest. I think the Arsenal fans are quite split on it. From uh, I want to look on their their social channels and their fan channels, they're pretty split on Arteta, and and they feel bring them success. That he has been there what since December 2019. Now won them FA Cup. Obviously, that's a trophy on board. Jose would, would love that at Spurs. So, but yeah, well, doing... Arsenal fans are always a little bit. Uh, they're nice and known for being impartial, aren't they? And balanced. That, that's just the opinion of Tom, by the way, not of the All In Football Pod. Just the way I hold. I'll just like to say, Arsenal just doing what Man United did after Fergie. It seems like they're doing a very similar thing. Not quite finding the right manager, not doing that great, staggering around a bit. It feels like a very similar situation, so um, maybe some lessons to be learned there. Yeah, for, for sure, mate, for sure. Uh, right, OK, Lamella, I'm, I'm not going to put it off anymore. What a goal that was. For me, the, the goal of the season, the goal of the last few seasons for me I can't remember anything better than that they those are the type of goals that I absolutely love instead of 20 to 25 yards which you can see from a Sunday, a Sunday league footballer that that goal was was just majestic and I wanted to ask you boys best Premier League derby goal you've ever seen Alex I'm going to come to you first I think I know what's going to come but you can go for it, mate. Have your time to shine. I'm, I'm way too predictable today, aren't I? Uh, Rooney's overhead kick in 2011. We're playing Man City, who were just spending all of their riches. Um, it was 1-1 on the day. They'd got a lucky equaliser with a deflection. I think it was Dzeko or David Silva. Um, and it was 1-1. It was a 78th minute. And Rooney was having a nightmare of a game. Even his pass and his build-up was terrible. It was so such a bad pass. And he got fed out to Nani on the right. He crosses it in. And company, who has openly said after about this goal that he had Rooney in his back pocket the entire game, peeled off the back of him. It was a bad cross by Nani. It was behind him. Everything about it was pretty bad. And then Rooney just defies description and whacks an overhead kick into the top corner and wins the game for Man United. And I, I, I rarely, rarely get off my seat and jump around like a madman when we score a goal, but I did that day. What a goal. Shinned it in though, didn't he? I was just about to say that, Scott. He shinned it in. Yeah. And, and again, not perfect technique. There it is. What a goal. 
Tom, what do you think, mate? The best Premier League derby goal you've ever seen? I mean, you're not going to like this one, Cully, uh, but it's Mr. Phil Jagielka. And for me, if you just take yourself back, Phil Jagielka was not a classy defender. You know, he, he wasn't a ball player or anything like that. He was an excellent defender, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't a ball player. And he comes in in the 91st minute of a Merseyside derby at Anfield and absolutely levers one. And if you watch the technique on this strike, it is absolutely unbelievable. He curls it, the ball swerves left to right, absolutely smashes it. I mean, unbelievable. That's got to be... Phil Jagielka probably still goes to sleep thinking about that goal. Let's put it like that. I love, Tom, I love how you talked about Phil Jagielka there like he retired three years ago. He's still playing in that crap Chef United team. <laughs> he, he is, but it will never get as good for him as he was at Everton, was it? I mean, let's be honest. Nobody, I, I, I briefly forgot they even played anymore. But no, he's, <laughs> it, it was definitely, it was definitely his, his highlight of his career at that point. It was Gary Neville on Monday Night Football, wasn't yeah, it? Who just about uh, to say who mimicked Mignolet and it was one of his first Monday night footballs and he was down there and he, he got in his suit and he was like, but look at his starting position. He's way too low. He's way too low. And just ripped Mignolet and ended his career, basically. Yeah, but I, I mean, take, take nothing away from Phil Jagielka, like doing that to Liverpool fans who, let's be honest, anyone who is listening who has a Liverpool friend, friend as a mate over the last couple of years while they've been playing quite well will take a lot of enjoyment from moments like that. So. Well, we've got to let you have your time in the sun, mate. It's not going to last forever. I can guarantee you that. Scott, what about you, mate? Best Premier League derby goal? Yeah, following on from Tom's defender theme, really. Uh, Gary Cahill for Aston Villa against Birmingham. Um, Pushing for a goal, balls rattling about a bit, comes in. And then out of nowhere, this centre-back leaps probably four foot in the air to some kind of weird overhead kick and smash it in the bottom corner. It was just incredible. It was a young young kid starting out. It was probably his first or second derby. And yeah, what a moment. And watching it back today, it just really makes you just really count the days down till we get them fans back. In front of the Villa fans, derby, you score a will be. What a feeling. Can't beat it. Yeah, set up his career as well. A good career Gary Kale's had since then. Uh, I'm going to go totally unbiased and say Gary McAllister for Liverpool. <laughs> against Everton, 3-2. We all remember it, about 45 yards out on the left-hand side. Everyone thinks he's going to cross the ball in, and he slots it into the, the bottom left-hand corner, leaving Anthony Gerrard, the keeper, absolutely clueless. And Gerard Houllier, rest in peace, of course, that Liverpool legend, going absolutely ape in the stands with Phil Thompson. So definitely one of my favourite memories from a Premier League uh, Merseyside derby. Well, OK, let's uh, switch up to, to Europe now. And Tom, the quarterfinal teams are in. And there's some teams left, my friend. It's looking very tasty, isn't it? It's looking very tasty. Just uh, in case anybody doesn't know, our quarterfinalists, Porto, Dortmund, PSG, Liverpool, Real Madrid, Man City, Bayern Munich and Chelsea. That is pretty tasty. Um, I think probably most people would have probably preferred to have Juventus in that mix instead of Porto, but Porto more than earned their place. Uh, This week's fixtures, just a quick rundown on some of them. Probably the highlights seeing Modric and Benzema showing that they are still more than capable of tearing up the Champions League. Uh, They were both really, really good. Vinicius Jr., uh, absolutely brilliant until he has to put the ball in the back of the net, uh, which we said about Sterling a couple of years ago. 
Um, it's still probably a problem for Sterling. Uh, but if Vinicius Junior ever learns to finish, uh, watch this. Watch this space. Um, and also in that game, just a little thing to notice because we've seen a lot of different quirks come up in free kicks. Atalanta uh, put three players directly in front of the kick taker, and as he was running up, they all sprinted forward and diverted, and uh, Muriel put the ball in the top corner because uh, the keeper's vision was blocked. So just another little quirk to throw into there for, uh, from that game. Um, Chelsea game, dominant performance, very similar to a lot of their recent games. Just surgical. A couple of goals, you know, very, very solid at the back. Uh, Atletico really never looked like threatening Chelsea in that game. It was uh, very good. And Tuchel himself said, Chelsea fans can actually start to dream that they might. I mean, this is shocking because Lampard nearly destroyed the club during his time there. But you know, Tuchel's managed to turn them around, um, and they've got a real—they've got a real shot at the Champions League this year. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Bayern, Bayern, probably not the best performance, um, and not some, one that their fans are going to remember. But they did the job in the first leg, so nice and easy for them. And of course, uh, the big one, City. KDB scoring City's 100th goal in all competitions this season with an absolute worldie of a strike. Foden, brilliant again. He just he's, We've talked about him before, but he's just majestic the way he glides across the pitch. Um, and yeah, their seventh cleat sheet in a row in the Champions League. Only the third side to do that. And it, I guess it's getting to that point now where you are starting to think maybe it could be City's year. Uh, but it does make me think... If City do not win the league this uh, the Champions League this year, does that make them the greatest club side to never win the Champions League? I don't know why I've thrown club in there. It's not like an international could win it anyway, but would they be the greatest side to not win the Champions League? So I'll throw that out to you, Scott. Is do you think do you think that'll be the case or do you think there's other candidates? Um the fact that Pep spent about one point eight trillion on centre backs, I think means that they would definitely be the best team never to win it. Not just the money spent, you've got to take that into consideration, absolutely. But the style of football they've had for the last few years, absolutely, it'd be a travesty. Um, but their record in quarterfinals is not great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, their record in quarters is not good. Uh, we can go back and, and see that they've that they've not had much luck getting past that stage, generally. Uh, any... Any chance of them doing that this year is going to rely heavily on that back line, but so far it's shown to be really resilient. Um, Alex, any got any contenders for who you think might um, might make a better option than City in terms of the best teams who have never won the Champions League? At the risk of me hating on Arsenal now in this podcast, uh, I have to come to Wenger's Invincibles of the 2003-2004 season. Um, that squad itself only ever made one Champions League final, and that was in 2006 against Barcelona, which obviously they, they ended up losing after Lehman got sent off, and it was Belletti and was it Eto, I think, who scored the other one. Um, yeah, it, they have got a British record of 19 times in a row they've qualified for the Champions League Arsenal, and they've only made the final once, and they lost it. So that team was unbelievable. And I think one of the best teams I've ever seen play football, ever. And they didn't win the Champions League. So, yeah, Wenger's Invincibles. It's hard to disagree with that, to be fair, because they were such a great side and to go Invincible in a, in a Premier League season. Um, definitely up there with, with one of the greatest sides not to win it. Obviously, they, they kept, got to the final in 2006. But I'm going to throw Jose's first spell at Chelsea in there. Um, not because they lost the semi-final to us twice. But um, they were just a phenomenal side. I remember that first semi-final in 05 against us that they lost. And 
the the ghost goal from Luis Garcia. I'm sure you all remember it. Um, it was such a crazy game. I remember just that that goal, and then we defended for our lives for the rest of the game. It was totally dominant performance from them. That they they for me, along with City, are probably the most dominant of Premier League champions I've seen. Um, obviously we were pretty dominant last year, but in terms of the style, in terms of dominating the ball, suffocating teams, the quality of players they had, it was it was just ridiculous to see. So they were pretty unlucky in those those three years. I think it was semi final, quarter final, semi final they made under Jose. Um, but yeah, just definitely Chelsea's first first Jose term. So just to finish off, then gut feeling: Are City winning the league, uh, the Champions League this year? Rex, no. You reckon? Yes. A no, no from Cully. Yes from Rex. Yeah. Yes, I'm gonna have to have to agree with Scott and Rex on this. I think this might be their year. Uh, and yeah, I, we I, say I, that I, every year. We do, we do, but I think their back line just looks so, so good. And uh, they really coasted yesterday. They scored those two goals and then they just sat back and just let the result come in. Um, I, I think this might be the best that City have looked in a long time. Gundogan, Gundogan was great again. I think it depends on the draw as well. Let's see what happens tomorrow with the draw. If they get buy-in and say they have to face a PSG in the semis or something like that, or a combination of them too, then it's going to be really difficult for them. But yeah, we'll see. Anyway, thank you for that, uh, for Tommy. Uh, we're going to delve into the realms of fancy football now. Alex, once again, my captain choice is as good as Andy Robertson's shooting skills. Absolutely awful. <laughs> Sum up game week 28 for us, please, mate. That sums it up. Game week 28, frustrating week for most people. Every single captain option that was in sort of the top five, six, seven captain options is blanked, except for Vardy, who managed to get three assists, which meant he got 13 points. Uh, Ian Acho got 17 points with his first Premier League hat-trick in that same game. Um, Man City Stones in Cancelo got 14 and 12 points, respectively. So that was a great result for those guys. Um, Meslier for Leeds, standardly, he got 11 points, which was eight saves and all three bonus points, which is just classic Meslier because he either gets all of the bonus points or gets one point pretty much every single time. Uh, Milivojevic rolled back the years. He got uh, a penalty and got 11 points. Lewis Dunk scored his fourth goal of the season and got 10 points. Uh, Trossard in the same game also got 10 points for one goal and all three bonuses. Um, Dwight McNeil showed that he's a promising youngster once again and scored an absolute worldie. Uh, and gets 10 points. Um, maybe one day he'll end up realising his potential uh, more uh, more often than one game at a time. And Erdegaard scored his first goal for Arsenal uh, to round off the players that scored double figures. I think Erdegaard, of all of the players that Arsenal have got, I think he looks like the best asset fantasy football-wise moving forward in the affordability category. So to go Bamiyang is such a high-level premium. Uh, I ended on 58 points against an average of 43. And I'll also be playing my free hit chip this week, which is uh, one of the most exciting chips uh, to play every season. But I'll come to that later. I'll start off with you, Scott. You were best of the rest with 48 points. Talk through your game week and then also your plans for how you're going to navigate blank game week 29. Yeah, my game week consisted of uh, John Stones and Cancelo. That was it. Thankfully, I had them in my team because there was no points anywhere else. The only other points was the same place they were last week for me, sitting on my goalkeeper on the bench. Um, I need to bat the Leeds number one. I need to bat Meslier. But yeah, 11 points left on the bench, nine points last week. I need to uh, start backing the boy a bit more. So yeah, that was that was my game week. 
And what's you thinking about this week? Because you know you're not using your free hit this week, are you? Yeah, so quite unfortunate. I was sweating injuries this week, so I really couldn't afford for any of the guys to get injured. And then lo and behold, Bamford and Son got injured, which is not good. So yeah, I'm still thinking of not free hitting, going against the grain a little bit. Um, and probably having nine players saving the free hit for um, I think it's the week when City and Spurs playing the Carabao Cup final and mm-hmm. um, free hitting them to be a bit different so yeah hopefully, hopefully Jackie Grealish and Bamford are back um, two free transfers in and looking at my team yeah there's only one probably guy Harry Kane probably captain yeah, it's, it seems that way, and we'll get to the options. And I was looking at your team, and you'd be more than more than comfortable, I think, navigating this game week with nine players and the nine players that you've got. Um, I reckon, anyway. Cully, you were next, forty-five points, um, and you don't have your wild card or free hit left at all, do you? Uh, so, what's your plan for game week twenty-nine and also review twenty-eight? Yeah, no chips left to play, mate. Um... Uh, review of game week 28 was pretty much the same as Scott to be fair I had John Stones uh, I had another seat defender Ruben Diaz I think I had and Stuart Dallas that made up pretty much most of my points for that week <laughs> um, but 27 or 28 I think they got that the 45 yeah the attacking players are just not doing it for me at the minute Son and Bamford are real concerns over, over game week 29 obviously Son's probably going to be out Bamford probably will play so hopefully hopefully he can um won't be subbed out by me anyway. So I've got seven players at the minute. Obviously, Son's injured, so that goes down to six. Probably make two subs to make it a, a, an eight, to make take a minus four uh, and, and go with the, the eight players to go meet 29. Makes sense. No, that, that sounds like a good plan to me. And we'll cover options if you do have a wild card or don't have a wild card in a bit uh, afterwards. On Son, before I get to Tom, his ownership... Uh, by the top 10,000 fantasy managers, which is usually a really good tell of how many people who have active accounts currently have a player. So of the top 10,000 fantasy managers, 75% of them own Hyungman Son and 50% of managers across the whole game own Hyungman Son. So I would not worry about that injury. Everyone is feeling that injury. That's not something that's going to affect your rank at all. So if you're listening to this, you probably own Son. So don't worry about it too much. Um, Tom, 41 points and your plans. Awful, wasn't it? Absolutely awful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no t- two ways of putting it, really. It was terrible and confirms my status as absolutely useless at fantasy football. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Melier sat on my bench with an extra nine points. Pope scoring two. You know, I just cannot make a right decision at the moment. Harry Kane, captain, does absolutely nothing. Um, which I should know because Spurs do well for two games and you're like, oh, brilliant, Spurs are playing well again and then they're going to be absolutely shit the next week as we've seen about their performance tonight. Um, yeah, and everybody else was just poor. The Chelsea game was really tight and nervy. I've got a lot of, I've got Rafinha and Bamford. Obviously, Bamford went off early. Uh, handful of points from Cancelo and Diaz, but yeah, generally just appalling. Not happy with it really at all. Uh, and then for 29, I've got seven players. Uh, so I had made a couple of transfers in on the basis that 29 was going to be a blank. Uh, Bamford, I'll give it a little confidence, Cully, because Bielsa did say that he sees Bamford playing. Uh, so that's a good sign because Bielsa's not one for mind games, so he probably will play. Uh, Bamford, Rafinha, I just don't know whether I can... Ca- it makes sense to Captain Kane, 
but they've been so bad the last couple of games. I'm tempted to back one of the Leeds boys just because, I, let's be honest, I've already lost. So uh, I might as well take a punt on one of the Leeds boys and see if we can pick some points up. This week is definitely one of those weeks to, to take a gamble. Um, the deadline this week is at 6.30 on Friday, so it's an early one before that Fulham-Leeds game that kicks off at 8 o'clock. The other fixtures for the week, we've got Brighton against Newcastle, West Ham against Arsenal, and Aston Villa hosting Spurs. Um, this week, if you do have a free hit, you've got a choice of if you're going to gamble or if you're not going to gamble and you're going to play it relatively safe. Um, so I've had a look at the effective ownership of these players and I've looked at the percentages they're owned by the top top 10,000 managers to give everyone a really good idea um, of how heavily owned some of these players are. So um, Emmy Martinez is owned by 83% of the top 10,000 managers and he is one of... 14 players, 13 or 14 players that are owned by more than 10%. And the other players, we've got Dallas at 66% ownership. Then we've got Target, Cresswell and Soufal, who are all in the 20% bracket. Son at 75%. Rafinha is a really interesting one. So I think he's only owned by about 14% of managers across the board, but he's owned by 56% of the top 10,000 managers. So you think, oh, Rafinha is a differential. He's not. Not, a, not across active accounts. People seem to have Rafinha. Lingard at 15% and Bale at 12%. So there's only two really heavy-hitting midfielders. That's where the differentials are going to be this week. And then up front, Harry Kane, 85% ownership. Absolutely staggering. Um, Bamford at 73% again. So again, you, if you've Bamford's injured, you're worried about it. Everyone's worried about it. So don't worry about it. <laughs> there's, there's no point. Everyone's in the same boat and no one's going to transfer him out because there's too much value wrapped up in him anyway. Um, Antonio at 18% and Ollie Watkins at 51%. So Ollie Watkins is quite highly owned. Um, out of those guys, if you need to really cover yourself, if you haven't got these players within your free hit team, you should. And that's Harry Kane, either Bamford or Rafinha, potentially both, but either Bamford or Rafinha, probably with Stuart Dallas. And then Son, if he's fit, but it looks like he's not going to be fit. And then, to be honest, I think the rest is a bit of a free-for-all. It, it seems pretty up in the air. I don't really back Martinez even against Spurs. I think they'll probably concede. Um, so some really good other options for you. So these are players that will play that I think are really good. And I put an Instagram post out about this earlier this week, if you managed to take a look at it on our, on our Instagram page. Um, but goalkeeper-wise, I think you could go for Areola because Leeds haven't scored in the last three games. So if you wanted to take that risk, you could go for Areola. Um, but Meslier is probably a really good option in goal, along with Sanchez or Dubravka. In defence, Kieran Tierney. He looks always like an option that's pretty good. Tierney's a good option. Or Dawson for West Ham. I also like the look of either Regulon or Alderweireld um, for Spurs. One, one option, the cheap options... Any Brighton defender who plays, <laughs> Lewis Dunk is the, the pre preferred option. And then you could go again for a couple of the, the Fulham defenders, but I, I probably wouldn't touch those guys really because, you know, Leeds have got a really good attack except the last three games. Uh, midfielders, over and Erdegaard. Erdegaard, I would say, is a player that you could look at for the rest of the season if you don't have a wild card left. Arsenal have the best running out of any team by a mile, fixture-wise. And Erdegaard is nailed down in that side. He's just got his scoring boots on. I think he looks like a top player. And he's only, what, six million? Six, six, I think he's 5.9, 6 million on fantasy football. So if you haven't got a wild card, look at Erdegaard. Um, that round. Uh, Grealish, if he's fit, which he probably isn't. Trossard or Lalana, Luckman or Caviero, and you could even 
bank on Lucas Moura if you wanted to because of the injuries in Spurs and Thomas Suchek for West Ham. And the fun differentials come with the real gambles up front. Josh Madger, maybe. Neil Morpé and Lacazette. And to be honest, probably won't have any of them. But they're the, they're the fun gambles anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think a good blend is key if you are looking at a free hit. Um, I want to move now on to transfers. If you, if you do have a free hit, that's fine. But I want to do transfers. And there's two key categories here. And they are if you have your wild card or if you don't have your wild card. So if you have your wild card left, I'd be targeting for transfers in this week of the teams that play Leeds United, Aston Villa and Spurs because they all have the best games in game week 30, so after this one. And the optimum strategy of using your wildcard, if you have it left, will probably be game week 31. Just again, so you know, that's probably when I would recommend using it. Fulham as well as an outside shot. And if you don't have your wildcard left, I'd be looking at West Ham. West Ham have Wolves, Leicester, Newcastle and Chelsea as the next four, and they have a game in game week 33. So... Again, a decent enough option. And Arsenal, once they get Liverpool out of the way, they've got Sheffield United, Fulham, Everton, and then Newcastle. So Arsenal, if you don't have your wild card, are the team I'd be investing in this week and taking a bit more of a punt and a gamble on. Uh, in terms of captaincy this week, like Tom said, I can't really look much further than Harry Kane, but... I think there's a lot of gamble options this week. I think they're, I think they're pretty much everywhere. I think you could go for a Leeds player if you wanted to. I think you could go for Antonio. I think Arsenal have only kept... Uh, uh, they've not kept a clean sheet in the last seven games. Go for Lingard if you want to. Go for Antonio. If you're chasing in your mini-league, this is your week where you can really, really make up points. So I would be going slightly out there. If I'm in Tom's shoes right now, I don't captain Harry Kane. There's no chance I captain Harry Kane because his effective ownership will be through the roof. It'll be nearly 180% potentially. Like that's how ridiculous his captaincy is going to be. So I would go for someone who's a bit of a differential. Probably one of the West Ham guys would be my backup. Um, if not, you could, I'm banging on about him, but I really like Odegaard. I think he could potentially even be a, um, an outside option because I don't think many people um, will captain him. So hopefully that gives you a brief yet comprehensive roundup of the free hit team and also of what to do if you've got transfers this week with or without your wild card. Um, and I'll hand back over to, to you guys if you guys have any questions for me or if not, then fire questions at me. Get into the, the, the direct messages on Instagram and also on Twitter and I'll try and answer as many as I can. I've got a question, Alex. You know, in terms of strategy, is it worth at any point because you know most of the time unless you've got a real big problem i know it's not recommended to be taking four point hits on transfers with a free hit you know what are your views on that is it worth are there any players that if you don't have them you would take the four point hit to get them in this week um probably only harry kane just because i think if you don't have him even if he's not your captain, if you just don't have him, I think it's going to take a really massive hit on your rank. Um, but actually, what I would say is, if you've asked me what what players, Harry Kane, I actually wouldn't take any hits this week because I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring week. I wouldn't waste your points. If it, if it was me and I'm sitting there now and I've got seven players, um, including Son and Bamford, I'd gamble on Bamford, probably keep hold of Son because I'll have a bit of money invested in him and just hope to God he comes on and gets a couple of points and I'd invest in one of the teams I've said. So I wouldn't take any hits. That'd be what I'd do. Brighton defenders, Al. That's what I wanted to ask you about. 
the uh, assets for them that they play Newcastle at home, I assume. Yes. Pretty I, decent chance I, of a clean sheet. Yeah, I, I brushed over those guys pretty quickly, but uh, Lewis Stunk, 100% number one. He scored four goals this season. Without a doubt, he's the number one option if you can afford him. Uh, behind that, you would probably look at Veltman if you need someone a bit cheaper. I think he's 4.2 or 4.3, which is fantastic value. Dan Byrne's got a tight hamstring, so I won't worry about Dan Byrne. And maybe Ben White, there's another option, someone else you could put in because sometimes he plays a little bit more advanced. Um, and I, I actually wouldn't mind looking at the goalkeeper, Sanchez. That's another option I do. And I think in my free hit team this week, I'm going to be doubling up on Brighton defence, probably with Duncan, the goalkeeper. Brilliant. Yeah, well, Sanchez has got a Spain call this week, so he must be doing something right. Uh, right, brilliant. Thanks for that, Alex. That was um, a fantastic roundup of fantasy football for last week and great tips going forward as well. So please follow us on social media if you want uh, some tips from Al going forward for the rest of the season. Uh, okay, let's finish on some quick fire questions um, sent to us by the All In Football superfans, which means our very close friends. Um, and we're going to start with an interesting one. Tom, uh, who's going to win Player of the Season in the Premier League? I think there's a few clear candidates. Uh, Bruno Fernandes, I hate it, but he probably is. Um, I think if you're looking outside of Bruno, Harry Kane, just purely because even though Tottenham are rubbish, Harry Kane still looks good in a in a team that is is pretty poor generally. Uh, he's got really good goal and assist uh, numbers. And then probably two last people I thought about were Gundogan because I think nobody expected him to replace KDB to the extent that he did, but he's been absolutely brilliant in City's brilliant season. And probably one that I don't know whether many people are thinking about, but for me it's pretty clear is Ruben Diaz because I think he has had the same impact for City or at least a similar impact for City that VBD had at Liverpool, ensuring up that defence at City when it looked like they were that was their problem area. And they've looked brilliant defensively with him in the side. He's played the most minutes, I think, of those defenders. And he's one of those players that Pep just doesn't drop. So out of those four, for me, I'd probably edge towards Ruben Diaz. But ultimately, it's probably going to go to a flair player. So I'm expecting Bruno or maybe Gundogan to get it. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of those shouts. Some decent shouts there. Alex, Danny Ings, stalling on a new contract at Southampton. Where should he move to if he leaves? I'll keep this nice and short and sweet. He shouldn't leave. What? Why would? Why should he leave? What a ridiculous thing. He's tried it at Liverpool. It's not worked. He's too injury prone. He's got a club at Southampton where he can walk straight back into the starting lineup when he's fit. In the top 10 teams, how many of them would he walk into? I mean, a push West Ham, but that's harsh and Antonio. Um, but maybe, again, a push Aston Villa between him and him and Ollie Watkins. Um, but to be quite frank, if Danny Ings doesn't sign a contract with Southampton, he's a moron because he needs to sign that contract. That's the right club for him. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Scott, I'm interested to hear your answer on this one. Obviously, it's one of my arch rivals in Everton. Uh, why do Everton keep stumbling when they're on course for, for success? Yeah, a bit of an interesting one. You look at the league table, um, away record, fourth best in the league. Home record, 15th best in the league. So major, major issues there. I think I think Everton, they just need to just chill out a little bit. Um, concentrate on just getting into Europe this season. Baby steps, because do you know what? They're, they're not good enough to just rock, rock straight in the Champions League. Yeah, they're a big club. They've got great history, et cetera, et cetera. 
But, you know, just, just take it one step at a time. Um, they've not got the strength and depth either at the minute, have they, really? Um, there's not many goals coming outside of Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. So you've got a great manager who's going to be able to attract players. Just chill out a little bit. Take it one season at a time. Europe, Europe, maybe Champions League. Go from there. Alex, biggest disappointment player-wise this season? I'm going to continue my hatred on Arsenal, apparently, in this podcast. Um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is by far the biggest disappointment this season. Um, 22 goals in each of the last two seasons. Um, Just what's happened to him this year, he's been given his new contract. He's got his hologrammed Ferrari or whatever he drives around in. Um, and he seems like he's just left it in the car park and sat in it. He's not performed anywhere near good enough this season. Um, a lot of Arsenal fans' hopes rested on him. Really, really, really disappointed in Aubameyang. I used to like watching him in this season. I really don't. Scathing attack, as always, from Alex on Arsenal. Um, Tom, should referees be mic'd up, uh, as we've seen in Australia, or at least give post-match interviews explaining possible controversial decisions? Mic'd up long-term, yes. Post-match interviews, no. I don't think the referees should be exposed to the media at any point. I don't think that's part of their responsibility. Uh, I think before you mic up the refs, you need to sort the rules out. I don't. I think that most of the problems are coming from the rules are ridiculous or there's not clarity on the rules. So, yes, once, uh, once those rules are sorted, mic them up. Let's hear what they're saying. But if you listen to the conversations at the moment, I think the reason they're not micing them up is because it would show how unclear everything is. Yeah, I definitely tend to agree. Yeah, I think that the mic's up um, long-term is uh, definitely a, a solution. Uh, Scott, realistic expectation of England at the Euros? We're going to win it! Come on, England! Um, yeah, really- <laughs> yes! <laughs> I believe, I'm a Southgate believer, he's the man to take us to victory. Uh, realistic expectations, I'm getting hopeful. The main problem was the defence, mainly the centre-backs. Fingers crossed, we've got a great centre-back uh, partnership in Stones and Maguire. Attacking-wise, we're fine going forward. It's basically a home tournament for us, so I think we get giddy. I think semi-finals, or, uh, anything less than semi-finals is a disappointment. Last two times we've won the World Cup when we hosted it here. We got to the semi-finals in Euro 96. I think we can win it and I think we're going to have a great summer. Back to the pub as we go. Sound very optimistic. Well, lots more to come on England in the next couple of weeks during the international break. And it's going to be interesting because we're quite split in this group, whether we're Southgate in or out. So... We're looking forward to seeing how we do. Um, we're going to wrap it there tonight, boys. Uh, thank you very much, as always, for your time. And thanks, most importantly, to our listeners for joining us. Please give us a follow on social media, if you wish, on at, football, at All In Football Pod on Instagram and All In Football P on Twitter. Please, please gamble safely and responsibly if you decide to take any of the one for the Acker tips you see on social media. And make sure you check out the high-quality help from Alex on Fantasy Football on there too. Right, that being said, thanks again. Have a great weekend and see you later.